This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk the MCU, the whole MCU, and nothing but the MCU. That's it. No joke or nothing. You get what you get. Stay tuned for another marvelous episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and I don't feel so good. I'm Jason Simmons. Well done. You just decapitated your grandfather. I'm Jordan Walkup, and that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Folks, it has been a big year for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just in the last 365 days, we have had WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki. In the next couple of months, we have Shang-Chi and the Eternals and Spider-Man. So there's just more Marvel content than anyone knows what to do with. But that's why it seems like the perfect time to go back over this long history of how the MCU came to be and how it has evolved and why people can't talk about literally anything else for any reasonable amount of time anymore so we're just going back through the history gonna tell you all about the timeline and sort of the highlights in our eyes we'll talk a little bit about you know our reviews for some of these movies we're just we're just hitting on all things in the history of the mcu so to do that we gotta take a trip back back to the year 2000 Eight, when one John Favreau and one Robert Downey Jr. decided, hey, let's mess up the way movies work for the rest of time. And that's how we got Iron Man. Whoa, man. Welcome to 2008. I'm wearing my troll face TV shirt and watching my favorite show, The Office. If you were here with me a couple weeks ago, I went to see The Dark Knight, which was the best movie I've I'd ever done seen, and I'm going to base my entire personality off the villain from that movie for the rest of my life. Is this uh. loss? <laughs> Welcome to 2008, where I was four years old. Yeah. Oh no, I got a red ring of death on my Xbox 360. <laughs> What am I going to do now? <laughs> so, like, I, I really love a lot of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. But also, I, I miss that simpler time. Like, when I went to the theater to see the first Iron Man, the only real superhero exposure we had had at that point were Batman and Spider-Man, and then less successfully... Uh, Superman, the Fantastic Four, X-Men. But, like, the only truly big, big names in terms of superhero movies were Batman and Spider-Man. And, like... There were some good Superman movies, but they mostly came out, like, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the superhero craze really dates back to 
uh, just Batman, it, Tim Burton's Batman specifically in 1989, and then through the 90s, superhero movies really rose to this not culturally significant <laughs> role, but like financially successful enough that people started really investing in them. So like, really, the rise to the MCU started like almost 20 years prior, but. 2008 was when they hit the gas on it and they were just like we're gonna make so many movies (laughs) up to this point like a series very very rarely ran past like three installments people like people thought it was a real scandal that they were even like considering a spider-man 4 which was half because four is too many and half because spider-man 3 was bad but like this was a new age (laughs) none of us knew what we were getting into we went to that movie (laughs) It's worth mentioning, I think, that with Iron Man, it was kind of the start of seeing superheroes with superpowers. Or at least, like, more visually interesting superpowers. Because you had, like, the X-Men, Spider-Man, and, like, Blade. But most of the other superheroes, I put that in quotes because there was a lot of Batman, Punisher, you know? Stuff like anti-heroes as well. Um, that were mostly just kind of based on regular people just doing things with guns <laughs> or gadgets in Batman's case. Yeah. And I, I really think Iron Man was kind of the start of superheroes that were larger than life. What if we gave a superhero a gun the size of his body? I mean, other than well, stuff like Hulk. <laughs> yeah. But, like, even in the X-Men movies, like, they didn't usually do anything too, too interesting. Like, I think the most wild thing I remember happening in the X-Men movies were, like, people doing stuff with telekinesis and Phoenix burning some people up. Nightcrawler. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Nightcrawler was probably, like, the biggest visual spectacle of the superhero movies prior to Iron Man. We all know the most wild scene of the X-Men movies was in X-Men 1 where Wolverine just like spun around with his claws on the torch of the Empire, not the Empire State Building, (laughs) the Statue of Liberty. That scene was wild. Well, we're not here to talk about those movies now, are we? Those movies... Wait, no. Those movies, those those are Fox movies and Fox and Disney are enemies because it's 2008 and they're never going to get over their irreconcilable differences. Never. No conclusion to this battle will come. I mean, like, Fox has Alien, and Disney has Mickey Mouse? (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, like, I think, really, first and foremost, what was so special about Iron Man, and what, what gave it the momentum to kick off this entire... Thing, like this thing we didn't even understand yet that would be the MCU. What made it possible was the fact that this movie took some enormous swings and they all paid off, like every single one of them. Robert Downey Jr. was an insane choice as a lead. There were dark anti-military sentiments buried in this movie that came out of nowhere they really leaned into the fact that, like, Robert Down- or Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark had some stuff going on. It wasn't a dark movie, but, like, 
it didn't shy away from some things that superhero movies had previously ignored. And because of that, I think it had a much wider appeal than any superhero movie before it. Yeah, I think part of that is... <laughs> it was really a last-ditch effort for Marvel. Because this was, this was way before Disney bought them. So this was just Marvel on their own. I believe Paramount was distributing at the time. So. And, like, they were—they just wanted to make a movie about Iron Man because <laughs> they needed money or they were going to go bankrupt. They got some big names in there because, I mean, obviously there's Robert Downey Jr., who was, you know, this not a no-name or, or anything like that, but he was definitely, he was on a lot of people's blacklist at the time. Oh, yeah, like, of course. He was a wild choice. But then, you know, opposite him, you have Jeff Bridges. Terrence Howard was relatively big at this point. Gwyneth Paltrow was in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was kind of wild because they, from every account I've heard since then, which is, it's been a lot of stuff recently, like there was no script for this movie. They had like a general outline and then most of the dialogue was just kind of improvised or, you know, like the group would come up with it right before they did a scene. <laughs> it was very heavily influenced by the actors and it was not all pre-written going before they even set foot on the lot like a lot of movies are. And I think that it added a lot more intimacy with this character than we had seen with superheroes in the past. Because before that, the really the only character we had seen like a super personal dive into was Spider-Man. And even still, it was sort of campy and didn't really have... There was still a big divide between, like, nerd movies and real movies back when <laughs> Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 came out. So, like, this was the first time where we got to see, like, true intimacy and in characters in a larger-than-life superhero setting. A real nerd movie. That's what we said. It's 2008, dork. Why aren't you playing Gears of War? We got Iron Man, and it is a hit that sets things in motion we couldn't even anticipate. So you would think that means that the follow-up is going to be something truly spectacular. And oh boy, was it not. <laughs> well, you got uh, Iron Man, who just became the biggest superhero after Spider-Man from one movie. you got to follow it up with the next coolest character in the Avengers. The Hulk? <laughs> Which I guess at the time, I think Hulk was really popular. <laughs> he was, I've never absolutely. been a big Hulk fan. But, like, there's been Hulk TV series and movies since, like, the 70s. Yeah, Hulk was clearly a fan favorite across the board. And I don't think that really shifted until after the MCU started to kick off. When I think people just... People started to see Hulk as a cool addition, but they just did not care about him as a character. And it even kind of feels like the writers of that movie felt like they just didn't care about him as a character. <laughs> so... Let's not let's not hark on that one too much. But Incredible Hulk was a misstep. It was 2010 when we started to really see how close to the sun Marvel was willing to get. <laughs> so Iron Man 2, John Favreau back, Robert Downey Jr. back. We we got to see more of Iron Man. And another and big change: Disney has bought Marvel. And you would think that with the success of the first movie, the scope and scale that was starting to sort of unravel for what Marvel movies could be, 
there were now rumors that this was building to something bigger than anyone had anticipated. And Iron Man 2 proceeded to be one of the most just flat out boring movies <laughs> in the entire MCU. Yeah. Instead of building up to the Avengers, we got a movie where we learned about Iron Man being able to pee in his suit. Iron Man 1 kind of started... It set the stage for the introduction of more characters and setting up this shared universe. Iron Man 2 kind of felt like most of the business was... Most of the movie was just in service of doing that. And kind of establishing like, oh, Black Widow's here. War Machine's here. Which, obviously, you need some more interesting characters for the movie. But then on top of that, it had Nick Fury. And I think... I think Coulson was in this movie more. I think he's actually in the main plot. Because he's in a little bit of the first one, right? Yeah, he's he makes some sporadic appearances just to be like, hey, what if Avengers? And then sort of gets shooed <laughs> off until the end. So This one, yeah. it, it felt like it wanted to have its cake and eat it too. Because it really touched into the, like, the demon in a bottle storyline from the comics. Like, they really show off that Tony Stark is off the rails. Like, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> he's insane he's literally being poisoned by his own technology but at the same time they were just trying to focus on setting more movies up instead of kind of actually exploring this character and the things that are going on in his life well we can't spend this much time on every movie otherwise this episode will be six hours long so (laughs) let's let's kick it off with the this was the point in the series for me where i felt like Okay, something big is coming from this. I am talking about 2011 Thor. The god of thunder himself <laughs> has joined the fray, but he's got to get some stuff worked out first. <laughs> I didn't watch The Incredible Hulk, so like all I had really known was I'd watched the Spider-Man movies before, and I watched both the Iron Man movies. Thor was kind of my introduction to other characters, like other superheroes in live action, and it was adequate. I think that this movie, more so than probably any of the others, struggled with being a good movie and introducing a character, because as far as introducing the character and setting up his powers and, more importantly, his weaknesses, I think it's great, but it just does it a little too slowly but i think that this was i think this was sort of the tipping point for me where i started like really getting hyped up for like the next marvel thing like this was the point where i started to be like like start getting into like i don't even know how to describe it fan theories and uh you know started really wanting to talk about like well, what do you think this means and do you think we'll see this again and you know what like this was the point where it started to really feel like this is a series that is building to something big even though i think the movie itself isn't anything spectacular i didn't really feel anything like that with thor it was fine <laughs> i didn't feel anything with this movie he didn't watch it <laughs> i did watch it but i was like seven or eight <laughs> Jackson just doesn't feel things. Yeah, for most of Phase 1, most of Phase 1, even really Avengers, I was young, I just saw superheroes, I'll watch it, and I'll like it. (laughs) Yeah, and now he puts more thought into it. As if I age (laughs) or something. Uh, 
I don't think Jackson understood that. Yeah, no. Now, this is where they got good for me. Captain yeah, America, the first Avenger. I, I like. I remember watching like the new Avengers, or no, sorry, the Ultimate Avengers movies, uh, the animated ones. Like, I think they came on Cartoon Network when we were kids. I remember watching those and like being really excited. And they always really built Captain America up to be the largest hero in the, which was weird because in a lot of other media at the time, Captain America was just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had really been neglected up to this point. Um, I distinctly remember there were a couple of Marvel video games that came prior to the MCU, and Captain America was just totally left out. Which Wasn't is funny there, like, because the big like, fighting game, the Rise of the Imperfects, yeah. Captain America was not in the game at all, and he played a pretty minor role in some of like the more Avengers centric stuff. I think it, even in Ultimate Alliance that, One, he was just like there. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't even in like the main because there's like a main team that's like Thor and Iron Man and Wolverine and someone Spider Man. Yeah, this like, was they pre didn't even MCU. Have Captain America. Yeah, pre MCU, there wasn't this big like divide where the X Men were something else. Like this was still, or at least at that point, it was still the X-Men were part of the Marvel Universe, and Wolverine was basically an Avenger. Yeah. But anyway, and like, with Captain America First Avenger, we finally got to see him brought to the big screen, and I thought that it was the coolest movie at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the first time I watched this movie, I thought, like, well, this is just the height of all movies. This is everyone's favorite movie now. <laughs> and, like, going back and watching it again, it doesn't hold up super, super well, but, like... This was definitely the, the tipping point for me to, like... Like, Thor, I was like, this is cool. Like, I want to know where this goes. And Captain America, I was just like, I'm in for wherever they take us on this. I am so excited. Also, shout out to Hugo Weaving. This is the only MCU movie he's in, as far as I know. He got replaced by some no-name in every other appearance of the Red Skull. But this one had Hugo Weaving, and it was awesome. I'm, I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's that... He didn't come back when asked because he was mad at just like his character being killed off when Red Skull's one of like Captain America's biggest enemies. I think maybe his biggest. I don't know too much about Captain America outside of the movies. That doesn't sound like Hugo Weaving in the slightest, but I'll believe you. <laughs> okay. Well, you have these five movies setting up these heroes, and it's clearly building to something. They are laying the groundwork. For the Avengers. And then sort of Avengers. We start seeing trailers. We start learning a little bit more about what's happening. We start to understand Loki's role in all of this. Through like the pre... The, the promotional material and all that stuff. And I just gotta say... When the movie launched... I was like... This is gonna be awesome. But then it was completely soured by the fact that the camera angles were too reminiscent of Ghostbusters. And for me, a, a movie can't just do that and just get away with it. You think you can just steal all of your shots from Ghostbusters, Joss Whedon? Oh, that was probably like, that's probably the most specific pull I could make in this podcast. <laughs> like, I never even heard about that until now. There's, there, No one is getting this joke. It's, it's. 
it was nothing. It wasn't like a trend or like something big on social media. It was wasn't it just like a letterbox review or something? Well, this was before letterbox, but no, it was like it was like an actual review, like a pretty pretty substantial because it was like one of the headlines for it. But like <laughs> it was just one review that if you read into it, the guy just had one line that was like the camera angles were quite reminiscent of Ghostbusters, and that was his <laughs> only like negative. But he gave it like a seven out of ten. So what? like clearly, this dude was really <laughs> upset about the camera angles being similar to another movie but that doesn't actually matter it was it was awesome like it was the start was of awesome big budget blockbusters with superheroes because like the other the other movies before it were like pretty big but they generally only had one super famous person in them and then you know just a whole bunch of background a- actors but this one they were like all right let's bring in the avengers and they're like Four of the coolest heroes, and also Hawkeye is there. Uh, five. <laughs> it was also five like, of the coolest heroes, and also Hawkeye is there. This was at a time where I remember there being just uh, people were like, "Man, how could how could they get that many famous people in one movie?" And then, like now, looking back, we have Infinity Endgame. War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, a- Avengers was was just so cool, and it really showed like what superhero movies could be and it was it really set the stage for that i think that was the point when you could kind of tell that marvel and disney were like well we're going to make a hundred bajillion dollars from this so let's do everything we possibly can for the rest of time also just something a little fun um about this movie officially they've said that 177 people died it had to have been way yeah, more. It, there's yeah. no way. They, there's no the city way. randomly, essentially, got attacked by aliens and only 177 people died. I'm pretty sure that Hulk killed more than 177 people just <laughs> jumping from building to building. <laughs> yeah. It, Avengers it, was, it was, was wild. Avengers was really like the first Marvel movie that I started paying attention to. And I was like, hey, there's this whole like thing going off movies. Granted, I was still like 10, so I didn't really know much about it. But like, it wasn't until really this movie that was like, oh boy, I can't wait till the next Marvel movie. It's also, I think, the only one I remember seeing in theaters before like, like of like phase one. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was, I think it was undoubtedly the best movie of phase one. And it left everyone wanting more. But then uh, <laughs> when we got more... Um, it was directed by Shane Black. And it it took a couple movies for them to really get things together. So I don't want to really dive too deep into either one of these. But in 2013, we got both Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. <laughs> they did I, not I, set I a honestly, good start for Phase 2. <laughs> I really no. liked the twist with the uh, the Mandarin. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind that. Yeah, part I didn't at mind all. that. People, I, hated I know. It at people, the time. Yeah, people yeah. hated it. They were like, "Oh, this is you've completely ruined the character." And it's like, there's not a good way for anyone in 2013 to make a movie about the Mandarin. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's inherently a dangerous place to play. <laughs> like, like I couldn't imagine them even like. I don't know. Having a character even just called the Mandarin played by someone like Ben Kingsley today just feels that feels like it's an like it's an incident just 
<laughs> just waiting to happen. But And then it yeah. turned out the real Mandarin in that movie wasn't even the real Mandarin. And now we're getting a movie that's actually going to have the Mandarin in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to pretend that the thing at the end where the main bad guy, Killian, called himself the Mandarin, that didn't happen, actually. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, that but one, yeah. that was actually a dream. <laughs> yeah. I like Iron that Man whole 3. was a dream. <laughs> Iron Man 3 was just a really weird misstep for the character and for Marvel, but uh, it's really Thor The Dark World where they were like, how bad can we make it? <laughs> like, I don't even, I don't need, we don't need to talk about Thor The Dark World. It was no. awful. It was bad. Yeah. That's it. It was boring and slow and offered very, very little. And you defended then, it for years. <laughs> I I never tried to say it was great, but I did try to say it was better than it was, for sure. I think it was just, you know, I there are a couple movies on this list that I just have fond memories of the first time I saw them. Like, uh, the first Avenger was really cool because, like, just dad and I saw that one and like just dad and I didn't do very much <laughs> together and we you know just never really had the chance and like I saw the Avengers with like my mom and sisters and I never really spent a ton of time with you know the the three of them like that doing something I wanted to do so like I have really fond memories of these movies that sort of tied me over Thor the Dark World I saw with like a group of pretty new friends so, like, I have fond memories of that. And, you know, I definitely am not one to... Uh, I do not compartmentalize when I talk about things I like and do not like. I very much let my biases and my personal personal memories interfere, which I do not take as a slight. Again, we have the word biased in our title. <laughs> so. But then we got Captain America the Winter Soldier. And that oh is amazing. Mm. <laughs> I love me some Winter Soldier. I thought it was uh, really cool that they took a different direction. Because like the the movies in phase one were all really good. We're we're all okay. <laughs> Let me walk that one back immediately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they they all felt very samey in a lot of ways. And Captain America the Winter Soldier was more of a political thriller than a superhero movie. Yeah. It felt more like a Jason Bourne movie than a Captain America movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, I think it served it very well. Winter Soldier think- has always interested me because I did not originally see it when it came out. I probably did not see it until right before Civil War came out. And, like, mm. even though those aren't big gaps of time, uh, Civil War came out when I was in, like, I don't know, I think, like, 7th grade. Winter Soldier would have been when I was in, like, 4th grade. So I really want to know, like, how I would have perceived Winter Soldier if I saw it when I was in 4th grade instead of, like, 7th. You would have been very bored. I would have. <laughs> but it's one of my favorites, and I think I owe that the scene at three years later. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I can definitely get that. It, it had a lot. It had a much slower pace than I think a lot of the other movies had. Barring maybe Thor The Dark World. Yeah. But I also think that just across the board, I think that the Winter Soldiers stood sort of head and shoulders above everything that had come. Even the excitement of Avengers didn't live up to just how thorough and well-written and well-acted and well-directed and everything that the Winter Soldier was. Like, this was sort of the perfect storm of superhero media. 
It took what was good about the superhero formula. It twisted it just enough to stay interesting. It had some really cool ideas for like the future of Marvel and the relationship of a major organization like Shield to superheroes, and like it just did so many re- really really cool things. And I think in a in a lot of ways they really haven't quite captured that since. Like I think there was a lot of parallels in Captain and uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it, none of the other movies have really quite hit the highs of Winter Soldier in my mind. It was also kind of nice seeing Black Widow expanded upon. Everyone was calling even then for her to get a solo movie. Uh, but they decided to wait another eight years. <laughs> and then it was, okay. Fine. It, it was kind of nice seeing that character expanded upon. Because, like, he was important in Iron Man 2, but he was clearly just supposed to be, like, eye candy in Iron Man 2. Um, yeah. And Avengers... Didn't really expand on her that much. But I think making her kind of a secondary protagonist in Winter Soldier really served pretty well for her character. Also a really important thing to keep in mind with the Winter Soldier is this was this was the official introduction of Anthony and Joe Russo, who would eventually set the entire MCU on fire in the best possible way. I was actually going to say something about how uh, after the producers or whatever at marvel saw this you're like hey you know what what if we got those russo brothers to do more of these also this is the one that had danny putty in it that's true (laughs) they managed to follow it up with another huge surprise though in guardians of the galaxy i don't know anybody that was very excited for this movie um at the time i was not very familiar with james gunn's work so there was literally nothing going for guardians of the galaxy I'm pretty sure people had to, like, make me go with them, like, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. This was the first time where I was like, I don't know who these guys are. And, like, at the time, it was really hard to even learn a lot about them online. Because, like, I didn't know a ton about Thor before before seeing the the movie but like i was able to look up some like comic stuff and like get into his history and stuff plus we had seen stuff like ultimate avengers you know and and he was in the uh the ultimate alliance games like he was in plenty the yeah. guardians aren't in anything before yeah, they were totally <laughs> totally new to the the mainstream whatsoever and i went in probably with like the lowest expectations i've i had had for any movie in the mcu and then james gunn was like but what if everything about it was awesome from start to finish (laughs) you know a lot of like as you were saying like a lot of people didn't know what to expect from this movie because they didn't know any of these characters and like again i was young didn't know what to expect from it but like this is the first marvel movie i remember being like really excited to go see in theaters when it finally came out and i feel like maybe that is part of the reason it, uh, I put it so high on my like list of what's the best MCU movie because it really paid off in the end with just how good it was. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was a surprise seeing that these characters were completely unheard of, like having such a good movie come out of it. But of course, if you're going to hit highs like that... Gotta hit some lows. There's gotta be a little bit of a low. I wouldn't even say a little bit. <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron is one of those lows. It was... At the time, I enjoyed it, but I, I'm bad about, uh, we're not bad about, because I think it's a good thing overall. I 
very, very rarely walk out of a movie not enjoying the movie in that exact moment. It's really like the days after that I decide if I really enjoyed something or not. After watching Age of Ultron, I was into it. I was like, you know, it was all right. It had some cool stuff going for it. It had some cool stuff about like the future of the MCU. But over like the following days, I was just like, that movie was a big letdown. Yeah, I I think it was an okay movie. I just really hate how they handled Ultron. Because he's supposed to be one of the Avengers' biggest villains. And they were like, what if he was in one movie? He definitely should have had some more setup. Instead of just being like, alright, this is Ultron. Have fun. <laughs> and I also think having him as a one-shot villain was crazy. Like... He needed more setup, and he needed to live. <laughs> like, I've never just been like, killing that character was bad, but killing Ultron was bad. There was also, it was trying to do too much, because it set up, you know, like it, it kind of set up Black Panther with the vibranium stuff. And then it was setting up, obviously, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch being added to the Avengers. But then they changed their mind about Quicksilver. Oh, and Vision. Like, it just felt like there was too many new characters that all had to have at least some characterization. And it was not done very well at the time. <laughs> but then you also have a new villain who has no characterization. He also has no strings. The only thing he really has going for him is that he's voiced by James Spader. Yeah. I I think he did a pretty good job with the role. I do think Ultron was a little too comedic of a villain but that's you know the writing in the movie not james spader's fault but yeah i just like the new characters i don't feel like they were built up very well and the old characters too any of the previous avengers i don't feel like they really did much with them like to build on their character at all yeah this movie was really just like it was the next like really big point after age of ultron uh after the first avengers i mean that was like this big stuff coming but, like, they still didn't even do much of that. I think they tried to show that the Avengers were much closer friends and all that now. But they spent way too long on some of those scenes. Like, the scene where they all try to pick up Thor's hammer. and They all, they all get drunk together after a party or whatever. Yeah. And, like... That's the only scene I can, like, really remember in depth from the entire movie. The Hulkbuster fight. But, like... Mm, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Like, it was the... Like, the hammer scene was, like, the truly, only, like, truly iconic thing from the whole movie. And that was very much supposed to be a throwaway joke, even though big promises were sort of kept with it <laughs> ten movies later. But it was, it was just weird. Like, it was, it wasn't a bad movie. It was just, it was a weird movie. And yeah. it suffered for how weird it was when they already had such a good formula and knew how to even break from that formula a little bit and still play out well. So I don't just, think it was, it was weird, weird enough. Like, I don't think it was a weird movie. I think it was following the formula and nothing else. Because, I mean, if we get into Guardians of the Galaxy, like, that broke the formula and was a weird movie. <laughs> and, like, if we look at the, the next movie we have, you know, Ant-Man from 2015... It didn't necessarily break the formula, but it was definitely a weird movie. Yeah. Age of Ultron is not weird. It's just 
meandering, and not very good. And, like, they wanted to fit too much into it at the same time. Because they were like, oh, Scarlet Witch is messing with everybody's mind and making them see their worst fears or something. And it's like, okay, well, let's not expand let's on that very on. much. <laughs> it's like, well, look at what Iron Man saw again in a, in a couple movies. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, then Ant-Man did happen, and it was, it was pretty good. I love Ant-Man. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a heist movie. And I that, was like, Ant Man. I was all for it. Ant Man was so good. <laughs> I feel like it's one of the more underrated movies in the MCU. Yeah, I mean it. I mean it's straight up one of the like the lowest like box office uh, numbers of any of the movies still. I think. And I've seen a lot of people say it's their least favorite in the series. Which I makes no it. sense. I loved Ant Man. <laughs> I think what's great about the movie is that it establishes some real-world, grounded problems for Hank Pym as a character first, all self-inflicted, and then it becomes a superhero movie. Oh, you mean Scott Lang? Oh, Scott Lang, not Hank Pym. Scott Lang. Um, And it's also compounded by the fact that uh, Scott Lang is incredibly dumb and played by Paul Rudd, and that's just a wonderful combination. (laughs) Uh, Paul Rudd's great. He is especially great in this movie. Uh, Ant-Man is one of the best additions to the Avengers of the first two phases, for sure. And the and final fight that... is definitely very by the books, but it has oh, a yeah. lot of like really yeah. fun scenes. The thing with the bug zap, uh, the bug zapper, and then like when Yellow Jacket throws a train at him or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets turned into a giant Thomas the Tank Engine and destroys the bedroom. Like, that was pretty good. It's probably overall the most comedic of any of the MCU movies. I think it's probably the movie that introduced the most plot holes. Because they (laughs) distinctly say that even though when you get smaller, like, it's just your molecules are getting closer together. Or your atoms or whatever. So Ant-Man brings us to a close on phase two. And, you know, Marvel had really established themselves... They really knew what they were doing. They'd shown how they were willing to expand with it. And I think that as good as some of the stuff previously was, it's really phase three where the floodgates open and things, one, get even bigger than we ever anticipated, and two, the overall quality of their movie starts to go up a lot. (laughs) Like definitely some of their best work definitely their most consistent work all comes in phase three and that kicks off with captain america civil war in 2016 civil wars where stuff really started to go down in the mcu yeah you know with kind of introducing the sokovia accords and being like actually there are consequences for the things that happen in avengers It's like, we want to forget about Avengers Age of Ultron 2, but actually you need to pay (laughs) for the damages you caused to that town. Look, I've got something very original to say. Avengers 2 should have been Civil War. Civil War should have been Avengers 2. Civil War very much was an Avengers movie. More than a Captain America movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first off... I mean, it straight up had the Avengers in it. (laughs) I I think that Iron Man is just as important a character as... I mean, like, Captain America and Iron Man definitely really share the spotlight in this one. Absolutely. Uh, And then, you know, characters like Black Panther and the Winter Soldier are kind of introduced or reintroduced and given bigger roles. 
it was I think this is the first movie where uh, Hawkeye really seems competent. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that the only reason that this isn't like titled something about Avengers instead of Captain America is just genuinely because they had already scheduled everything out and it doesn't have any Thor or Hulk, but even in like the comics that inspired Civil War, those two were basically MIA for most of it. So I, like across the board, this is this is the Civil War movie. It just is a lot of a lot of it's from Captain America's perspective. <laughs> On top of all that, this is the movie that introduced us to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And Chaswick Boseman's uh, Black Panther. I'm just going to come out and say it. There might be some controversy from this. Tom Holland's the best Spider-Man. There might be some controversy from this, but Jake Johnson's the best (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. And, like, people blinded by nostalgia are going to come out of the woodworks to be like... But actually, old thing is good and new thing is bad. But in this case, new thing is good. It's true. (laughs) Feels good to get that off my chest. (laughs) But yeah, this movie opens up a lot. Like, they wanted to kick off Phase 3 in a big way. And then they do that. Things get heavy. Phase 3 is also the longest of the phases thus far. Yeah. And introduces the most new characters, I believe. Yep. Starting starting off with... uh, Doctor Strange in 2016. This was a this one's an anomaly for me because I I don't have a lot of strong feelings about Doctor Strange one way or another. I think that Benedict Cumberbatch plays him incredibly well. I just don't know that this was the best intro for him necessarily. Yeah, I really like Billy Bob Cooperton's portrayal of Doctor Strange. I thought he did really well. I don't know. There was a lot of good throwaway jokes in the movie. Um, like, when he's going... Or not not necessarily jokes, but, like, throwaway references. Like, when he's driving his car and, like, turning down all these people because he only wants to, he only wants to work on people that he knows he can save and that will get him a lot of fame. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely uh, one of the most outwardly just not a good guy of any of the heroes. I do love, honestly, that he gets into a car accident because he's driving like way over the speed limit while talking in, like talking on the phone. And the whole time I'm watching that scene, I'm just like, man, you deserve what's coming to you. But I, I, I like Doctor Strange. I thought it was kind of a good introduction to showing off the more magical side of the MCU. And that's something we still haven't seen that much of. Yeah, it's coming though. <laughs> it's we had coming. Mads Mikkelsen as the villain. He was wasted. We got Doctor Strange as the first like totally new hero, and then we got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, the long-awaited sequel to one of the you know probably like the most surprising movie of the MCU so far. One thing I also want to point out with Guardians of the Galaxy, both the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, is I I know several people that do not care about superhero media at all, but really, really like both of these movies. And that's just crazy to me to think that they're probably the weirdest and the most inaccessible characters for superhero fans, and they're the ones that actually got a lot of appeal outside of superheroes. I think part of that appeal comes from the fact that it doesn't feel like you've had to read a bunch of comic books to kind of understand these characters. Yeah, you don't necessarily need, you don't have to read comic books at all to watch like the Marvel movies in general. 
But I, no. I think that there's so much comic history for all the characters. And, like, they've been... Maybe not household names, but, like, you, everyone's at least heard of almost all the other Marvel heroes. Yeah. Like, they've heard nerds talking about them or whatever. <laughs> That's in their minds, right? And then you have Guardians of the Galaxy that I had never even heard of, you know, prior to the first one. It doesn't feel like there's any need to have an understanding of comic books to watch these movies and enjoy them. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 especially does not feel like a comic book movie. Maybe even more so than uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Like, it's definitely this very personal story about (laughs) Star-Lord meeting his dad. And it kind of explores, like, why is Star-Lord the way he is? And how are his relationships with all the people on his team and the random people that he meets kind of informed by the way he grew up i don't know i think it's very interesting and a very thoughtful movie that kind of sticks out from the rest of the mcu see like i like guardian of the galaxy 2 i think it is one of the better mcu movies but like one of my favorite things about guardian galaxy 1 is that it felt separate from the rest of the mcu and while even in this movie it didn't interact with any other you know stuff in the mcu it still felt more like an mcu movie for some reason a lot of this movie is kind of dedicated to like what's up what's up with kurt russell why has he got his own planet <laughs> let's explore this planet a little bit and the definitely the relationship between like rocket and yondu i think is a, a major part of the movie that i really enjoyed i think this was also the point where we started to see that the guardians aren't these totally separate individuals just somewhere out there in space like these guys are just as much a part of this Thanos story that's starting to take form as the Avengers are. And I think that that's really part of what what sells the later Avengers movies is there is this whole other team that's going to get involved with everything, but they've been out here separate for so long at this point. Well, at this point, Thanos hasn't done anything with anyone else. Thanos yeah. is in both Guardians movies, at least. Somewhat. I don't think he's in the second one. He's Unless at least it's mentioned, scene. like talked about. Like Thanos isn't in any other movies until till this point. Thanos, uh, or, I guess, other than the post credit scene of, well, no, I guess it would have been before that. He was in like a good bit of Guardians of the Galaxy one, but I mean, still not much. <laughs> so like, this was kind of. Or, I don't know. This doesn't even, It doesn't really touch on the Thanos saga too much. I think it's a very good standalone movie. I mean, like, you need to have watched the first one, but it, it doesn't feel like you need to have any other information about the MCU to enjoy this movie. Um, plus, like I said, Kurt Russell's in it, and he's really good. And David Hasselhoff's in it, and he's also good. He's only in one scene, though. I think he did a whole song for the movie, though. He did. What a guy. But then we got what we had been waiting for for a long, long time. We finally got that Spider-Man movie in the MCU. Ten years after the last Spider-Man movie. And I will say, I think that <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming... Are you probably... not going to comment on that, Jordan? Wait, what? I, I said ten years said the... after the last yeah. Spider-Man movie. Oh, okay. I was that just in my head. I was like, that's when Spider-Man 3 was. No. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Spider-Man, y'all. I I think that 
Spider-Man Homecoming is probably the best solo hero like introduction in the whole MCU. Like I don't think that any other like I don't think any other first attempt at any other character went as well as it did in Homecoming because they were smart. They didn't give us the same introduction that everybody knew intimately for Spider-Man. They showed us Spider-Man that had already been at work for a bit. <laughs> and I think that's really what helps that's really what helps get into the action of it so quickly and so so I don't even know how to describe it. It it made such good use of its time in both this is this is who Peter Parker is and now he is Spider-Man fighting a major villain. Yeah, and it's definitely a lot more grounded than the MCU had become by this point. I mean, you know, the rest of the movies in this in this phase alone, you know, even just looking at Civil War, it's like, all right, this is the Avengers fighting each other, so that's huge. And then Doctor Strange, it's you know, this huge magic war that takes, it's like a globetrotting adventure. And then the end, like the final person he fights is this interdimensional creature or being, I guess. I don't know. And then Guardians of the Galaxy is literally fighting a giant planet. And then you got Spider-Man and he's fighting the Vulture. He's fighting Bird. <laughs> and I think the Vulture is kind of really well, well he's well acted because they got good old Michael Keaton play him and he does a great job. But they're kind of trying to draw everything very close to Peter Parker in this movie. Like, the villain is his girlfriend's dad. I think Vulture is just, in general, one of the better MCU villains. Absolutely. And I think that was the biggest weakness the MCU collectively had up to this point. It still is. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. Is, barring Loki, there weren't any truly great villains in the MCU. I think that Vulture was the first one who was, like, that good and that I want more of. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he definitely, he was the most grounded. I mean, just, like, I mean, all of his stuff comes from stolen Chitauri tech. It's like, this is the, because with Civil War, they kind of showed, like, the fallout of what happened in Avengers 2. And I think, in a lot of ways, Spider-Man Homecoming is the fallout of Avengers 1. It's like, this is these are the guys that were supposed to clean it up. <laughs> and now they're, they've been taken out of a job by Tony Stark and his hubris. And nobody really cares to do anything about them because the crimes that they're committing are, in comparison, very kind of, like, small. So Spider-Man takes care of it. <laughs> and I really love this idea that in the Marvel Universe, there are different... There are different levels of severity in the stories for the different amount of power characters have. So, like, you can still have these giant world-changing villains that are doing just astronomically more deadly and serious things, and that's still, like, relevant, but then you can go more granular, and you have characters like Spider-Man fighting to protect one city. And you can go even more granular than that. And you have characters like Daredevil protecting one block. <laughs> and, like, it's just really cool that they set up that there is... Like, just because they're out stopping world-ending threats doesn't mean that the heroes aren't still getting down and saving people, you know, in a, in a smaller scale. Yeah, I'm just imagining Daredevil <laughs> now being like, where's this crime happening? someone's like 
33rd and 54th. And he's like, mm, sorry, not my job. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Good times. Okay, but then, he, then anyways, Thor Ragnarok happened, and it was uh, it was awesome. It's probably the best movie in the whole in the whole MCU. Guess that's all there is to say about that one. It changed Thor from being my least liked character in the MCU to being one of my favorites. I still don't really care that much about Thor, but I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. I think that uh, this shows the power of, well, Taika Waititi specifically, but the power of like a good director and what they can do to something that even had been notoriously not good. (laughs) I think definitely having more of a comedy focus served it pretty well. Uh, I think that's another part of the reason Guardians of the Galaxy really sticks out. Yeah. Um, Ragnarok. Obviously, since it's a comedy, you mostly remember it kind of more for the funny scenes than the cool fight scenes. That said, it also had cool fight scenes. Like when Thor and the Hulk had a big punch out. That is the best part about this movie. It has dumb, over-the-top fights, but then it actually sets them up well. (laughs) Like... They know what people are there for, but they're like, but we're also going to give you a good story until you get there, too. We also got a giant rock monster making rock, paper, scissors jokes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it it introduced some of of the the most interesting characters in the MCU now. And uh, I think it it also was one of the rare instances where there was a good villain, like, that was a one off but still offered something actually interesting. <laughs> I hear like, what you're has, saying. I don't really remember anything about him other than being Jeff Goldblum. Well, I mean, I mean, hella, not. Oh, not. I forgot that was the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, separate, it honestly. Is, but not in a bad way. Like, No, I think they do it pretty well. Yeah. But the stuff that happens on... Uh, <sighs> Man, I can't remember the name of any of the planets. Sakar. The stuff that happened. Sakar. Yeah. 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 The stuff that happens on Sakar and the stuff that happens in. Wow, this one's a really bad one to forget. Asgard. 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 Jeez. The stuff that happens in Sakar and the stuff that happens in Asgard are very separate, but still flow together pretty well, like as a whole package. Are we sure Jeff Goldblum wasn't the only villain in Ragnarok? <laughs> Maybe Jeff it Goldblum just had a really good second Ragnarok. act. Yeah. Do you think maybe the second act of this movie just overshadows the rest of it? Like all the stuff on Sakaar? Those are the parts I think about the most when I think about the movie. No. Maybe a little bit of the beginning, uh, but. I think that the high point for the whole movie is the fight on the bridge in Asgard. Definitely. I, I I think that's one of the best scenes in like the whole mcu and that takes place well after they leave sakar yeah yeah i guess the second act just it it i remember so much of it and i don't remember that much of like anything other than the final fight you know there, there's the scene where loki was falling for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was this movie right yes <laughs> the whole meet up with dr strange at the beginning was pretty cool it uh it set things up well you know, I forgot 
I forgot Doctor Strange was in this movie until I mentioned the, the thing with Loki. Maybe I don't remember this movie very well. <laughs> I recommend a rewatch. Of of the ones I have rewatched recently, this was my favorite by far. This was the one I enjoyed the most on a rewatch. Well, Jackson mentioned earlier that Spider-Man Homecoming had one of his favorite villains. And you guys say that this villain, Hela or whatever, that you made up for Thor Ragnarok is really good. <laughs> I personally think Black Panther has one of the best villains of the MCU. I just want to go back for a second. I don't really think Hell is that like interesting a villain. She does some cool stuff. Dude, but that's it was kind a transition. You don't have to argue with it. <laughs> that's a good that's a good recurring theme for us. Is just uh anything uh anything just crazy or unexplained that we say. It's just it was a transition. <laughs> but anyways, Black Panther. Tell us about that villain. It's got Killmonger, played by the incomparable Michael B. Jordan. Not to be confused with Space Jam's Michael Jordan. Killmonger is my favorite villain in the MCU. Yeah, definitely. I can agree with that. I, I think he has kind of like the most interesting motivations. Like, he's personally been screwed over by the Wakandan people. But he still is Wakandan, so... You know, he wants to go over and he wants to take over Wakanda to set things right for people like him. But over the years, in his attempts to kind of make this happen, he's he's lost his way, right? Yeah. See, I think that's one of the reasons this movie is so good, in my opinion. Because, like, the things that Killmonger wants for the world are good, but he has terrible means to do it that involve people being killed. Like, innocent people. He- but, He's so jaded by the trip to make the good things happen. Right. That he, I don't think he would be even capable of changing the world in a positive way anymore. Right. And Wakanda, they don't necessarily want bad things, but the things that they want lead the bad things for other people because they're so self-centered and want to keep themselves unknown from the rest of the world. And I just, I really just, I really like that, how for a good bit of the movie... The good guys aren't necessarily great, and the bad guy uh, wants good things but isn't doing them great. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think this movie has more layered characters than a lot of the MCU. I, I feel like for the most part, barring Civil War, the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad. And it's like, well... This time, things are a little... They're not quite so black and white. Yeah, and I think that's probably what makes Black Panther one of my favorite characters in the MCU. Because, like, he just became king after his father died. And he has always wanted to do the right thing. But now he has learned his father was not a great person. And that Wakanda has done some bad mistakes. And he has to deal with all that while fighting a guy who wants to do some bad things. And specifically, he has to do it while still really having a ton of respect for the way his dad ran Wakanda and wanting to uphold that legacy, but still sort of fight with this idea that just because they've always done something some way doesn't mean it's right. It's really, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's the most layered of the movies so far. And I think, I think that that it has a lot of nuance. Yeah. Also, just Chadwick Boseman an incredible T'Challa like he did, was just so good in the role he did such a good job in the role that it honestly does not make sense to me 
It is hampered a little bit by that PS2 cutscene final battle, though. Yeah, it does. It doesn't. It doesn't end on the best note. Let, let me take that back. The third act overall is not as good as what came before it, but it it, it ends well. But oh, it's I just mean there. that the I just meant it that the, the FX were so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like it was from like a video game on the PlayStation 2. It's not very good no. looking. <laughs> but you know what movie does have some good CGI? Ooh, ooh. Um Doctor Strange. Yes, but I'm talking about Infinity War, which still to today it makes no sense to me how good Thanos looks for being complete CGI. <laughs> It's crazy how different he looks between his first appearance at the end of Avengers 1 and when he's actually on screen. I constantly thank God for the uh, the hugely different look that he's rocking. Oh yeah, it's yeah. ten times better. <laughs> Just imagine being Josh Brolin, who like... Has you were in known, the Goonies. <laughs> he's known he's going to have a big role in the Marvel Universe for like ten years at this point. And he was just like, man, I hope they don't screw anything up over the next 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, it finally comes to a head, and it's even bigger and better than I think a lot of us were anticipating. Because, like, this movie isn't perfect by any means. It's a huge step up from Age of Ultron. But it's still not... It doesn't really capture that high energy that the first Avengers did. But this movie does something so, so uniquely its own. And I don't just mean in the fact that uh, the the heroes lose. I mean in the like this movie is about Thanos. It's not really about the heroes coming together to fight him. It's Thanos's plan in action. It kind of and seems the- like a lot of the movie is about the heroes coming together to figure out what Thanos's plan is. And in the end, they're too late. And, like, yeah. that's such a weird take that I was so into. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure they know what his plan is. Well, yeah, but, like, how he's going to... Well, and even then, at the beginning of the movie, most of them did not. It's about them yeah, that's trying true. to figure out, like, how he's going to put his plan in action and kind of his backstory. Because it, it has, like, the scenes with Gamora where it kind of explains, like, where'd she come from? <laughs> How did how did Thanos and Gamora become connected like they are? And then like there's the whole scene on Titan where it's like, what was his backstory? There's a lot of scenes like that throughout the movie. But I mean, it, yeah, Jordan's right. I mean, it definitely kind of follows Thanos as he's going around getting the Infinity Stones more so than it follows the heroes. And I think that was probably one of the reasons that made this so good is that instead of focusing on you know a lot of characters that we already know pretty well. They decided, let's focus on someone we don't know really well who was the big bad of the entire MCU. Well, he's kind of the protagonist of the movie in a lot of ways. I honestly think if they would not have made him the protagonist of the movie, it would not have been that good of a movie. Because, like, if they wouldn't have done that, there would have been no emotional anything to Thanos. So then the payoff of the end of the movie and Endgame wouldn't have really been anything in my opinion maybe not so much with in-game but definitely with this movie i do want to come out and say anybody that honestly agrees with thanos's plan is an idiot do i have some news about your mother yeah what 
uh, uh, earlier today, me and Mom <laughs> were talking about the movie, and uh, she kind of sides with Thanos, so I'd right, look we'll out. Tell her she can she can vote she can put the big libertarian vote on her next uh, <laughs> her next ballot. So, and one more thing, I've been thinking about this one a lot since we talked about Age of Ultron a little while ago. I think sort of what made Avengers one and then Infinity War and Endgame better than than Age of Ultron specifically is that Age of Ultron t- tried to do this thing where not only did it have too many pieces, it tried to show them all sort of equally. Like it tried to give you roughly the same amount of screen time with each of the heroes and like give them roughly the same amount of dialogue. And by the point where we get to Infinity War, they just understand not all heroes are equal. Like they don't need, they don't all need the same amount of screen time. Like we don't have to see just as much Captain America as we do Iron Man. And we don't have to see nearly as much Hawkeye as we do the rest of the Avengers. And they were just like, let's leave him out altogether in this one. Yeah. And like to kind of bring up Age of Ultron again, though, like I feel like all the other Avengers movies, especially, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, serve the greater narrative, while Age of Ultron's kind of more of a side adventure. <laughs> Still, you know, it's an end of the world disaster movie, but it doesn't serve the grand narrative of the of the entire MCU. And Infinity War is what all that's been building to. Infinity War famously ends with that big snap dough. Yeah. And, it, and then the MCU is just like, now we take a break. What if we talked about a guy who can shrink? For your viewing pleasure, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's good. They were like, what if Evangeline Lilly was in this more? It was good. Yeah. Pretty much the same movie as Ant-Man 1 in a lot of ways, though. So. Yeah, still a heist I mean, movie. I mean, honestly, I think all the Ant-Man movies should be a heist movie. It makes sense. It's the... I mean, Scott Lang's character is a thief, so... I don't know if it's necessarily a heist movie. Unless I'm misremembering. Is there a, is there a heist in this? No, this one's more about... It's all about going and getting back... Uh... They're trying no. to get back... Uh, they don't even know that he's OG still there. Wasp. Yeah, yeah, they gotta get Michelle Pfeiffer from the Quantum Realm. Which like she's hey. like, hey, I'm Catwoman. No, it's pretty good. I thought the the shrinking and growing was kind of it was used a lot more, but it, I don't know, it wasn't as interesting. There, there's not anything like super memorable from this one, like the thing with the the train. Yeah, and I think a lot of. Oh, I remember the other thing that bothered me about the first Ant-Man movie was that um, Hank Pym carries around a tank on his keychain, but if it was the same, it should have weighed the same as a tank. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of Ant-Man's best scenes were in Civil War. They weren't in either of Ant-Man movie, either of the <laughs> Ant-Man movies. The thing with like the orange slices from uh, Civil War, yeah. iconic. <laughs> And the first time he becomes a giant was was pretty dang cool. You know what else? Is cool? This one did have a pretty cool cast. They brought us Morpheus though, so it's an A in my book. Okay, well let's talk about Captain Marvel. Probably the most contentious movie in the MCU, at least so far. <laughs> so this was one of those movies where, before it ever even came out, people were mad. <laughs> 
people decided that they didn't like Brie Larson because of who she was as a person. And because of that, uh, everything about this movie is bad. And then they saw the movie and were just like, I'm going to keep believing that. (laughs) Um, Overall, I think Captain Marvel was good. But it was also... It was also bland and also had one of the biggest problems in terms of, I don't know how to describe this. It didn't feel like the character grew into her powers. No. Like, at the end of the movie, my biggest complaint with this one is just that she suddenly becomes all-powerful. Yeah. Like, it just, it feels like there should have been at least some kind of build-up to it. And it just kind of made the ending very boring because it's just like well she has all the powers now she's invincible it's sort of the same problem that i have with superman as a character like i'll admit i've never really cared for superman in any solo superman story because when a character has all the powers that superman has all the problems should kind of fade away and you really need to make it more about personal growth and struggle than you do about them fighting big bad guys. I and mean, this I think Man movie, of Steel kind of does that pretty well. Yeah, it's overall one of the better Superman things I have seen or read or whatever. But I think this movie starts off where it is. it does a pretty good job of getting into Carol Danvers' origins and the struggles that she faces... And then later on, it's like, okay, well, now she has all the powers to do everything all the time, and then all that fades away. Like, all of her problems are solved by just being bigger and stronger and faster than all of her opponents. (laughs) Yeah. There is that really awesome scene where uh, Jude Law's character, who may as well not had a name, was just like, well, if you really wanted to show you're tough, you would fight me without your powers. And Captain Marvel is just like, no thanks, and shoots him. And it was awesome. Dude, I, I love it when characters don't take the bait for, yeah. from their enemies. Yeah. My, my biggest complaint about the movie Captain America the Winter Soldier was that there's the scene on the boat where Batroc's like, Oh, you have a shield? That's that's not fair. Let's fight man to man. And Captain America. I, America's I think like, that's very in character okay. for Captain America, though. Captain America's definitely the kind of guy that would drop his shield if someone was like, I want to have a man to man fight. I guess that's I think more literally my anybody could say that to Captain America and he'd be like, fine. I guess that is more a problem I have with Captain America as a character, is like it's cool if you want to like stick to your laurels and do the right thing in all contexts and always fight fair. It is a little different when it's like a straight up terrorist trying to murder a whole bunch of people <laughs> and you could have put him down with one throw of the shield and instead you turn it into a whole fight. I don't know. Who decided Batroc the Leaper needed to be in the MCU? And then he was in that's, it again. He doesn't yeah. do his thing though. No, no real leaping. Actually, a lot of stuff on a couple walls. I, yeah, I didn't really notice it at first. A lot of his fighting style in that fight is mostly kicking, which isn't leaping, but that's not. Yeah, that's not leaping. It's closer than just like punching. That would be like saying 
um, you know, like if Spider-Man bit people, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty spider-like, but he didn't use his webs. That's just any animal. <laughs> Spider-Man's only power is that he can bite people. It's not even you know, like a spider bite or like anything. He's just biting like a normal person. Yeah. He's just weird. Like you could say that's something spiders do, but that doesn't mean that like that yeah. doesn't make him spider themed. Yeah. Kicking does not make you leaper themed, whatever that would mean. <laughs> All right. Well, it took us 10 years to get here. In real in an time, hour and 20 like. minutes. <laughs> but Avengers Endgame, the Avengers have already lost. And they spend five years really living in that loss. And every single Avenger survived. Well. Just a reminder. Yeah. You had a 50% chance of being instantly killed. Unless you were one of the original six <laughs> Avengers, and then you were going to be fine no matter what. The original six get a rare opportunity to go back and change things in the past to make it to where they can bring back everyone that was lost five years ago after that Thanos snap. Traditionally speaking, I do not like time travel stuff. I've made that clear on many occasions. I think that Avengers Endgame actually pulls it off incredibly well and uses that to set up probably like my favorite moment in any movie ever with the final fight that comes after the snap is reverse like overall this is a good movie but i think honing in on just the third act i think it's one of the best scenes in any movie ever also i just want to say that final fight is an hour long <laughs> I don't... It's good all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Yeah, I mean, I don't know... I don't even know if it's all that great, but it does have 11 years of build-up going into it that I think it just kind of elevates it to, like, a, a much bigger level. Yeah. Because it's yeah, a like lot I'm more like... than just, like, oh, all the heroes are teaming up to fight. It's like, oh, all of the people that we just spent, like, an hour and 20 minutes talking about just to get, you know, the basic ideas of <laughs> what we thought about each of their movies. All of those guys are teaming up to fight. You know, I think one of the things that I really think is pretty interesting about this movie is that, like, the villain is not exactly Thanos. Honestly. No, it's Thanos. Pretty sure. Well, <laughs> Pretty sure it's Thanos in this one. Well, yeah, but, like, for most of this movie, what they're doing is not figuring out how to fight the big bat or anything. What they're f trying to do for most of this movie is fix the fact that they lost. And this is the only Marvel movie that is like that. All the other Marvel movies are about trying to, you know, beat the big bat of the movie. This is the only one that's not. And I think that's pretty interesting, in my opinion. Now, by the end of the movie, they are still... I think it's kind of still... interesting by... that this movie makes a big effort to uh, finish up Iron Man's arc. Because it started in Iron Man 1, with him having this whole journey to kind of become a better person. You know, he stopped selling weapons in the first one. The second one, he has to get over his alcoholism. The third one happened. And then, <laughs> you know, with Captain America Civil War, he's got 
regret because like oh what if the way that we're doing things isn't the best way like what if we're causing more harm than good and then infinity war it's just like well i think he blames himself i always felt that he kind of blames himself for a lot of what happens in infinity war and that's kind of what they are going over a lot of in endgame is just like it's his problem to fix at least in his mind and it's kind of the end of his arc like he's like I'm finally going to do something that really matters. It's also and that's kind of what leads him to sacrificing himself at the end. I was going to say it's also the end of Iron Man. I think that in a lot of ways, everything up to this point was Iron Man's arc in a way, since he really kicked everything off up to this point. He's and one of the only characters that really feels like he grows, uh, at, le- at least of the original, you know, like the main Avengers, that kind of feels yeah. like he grows along the way. Yeah, because Captain America, if anything, becomes slightly more jaded with the way yeah. that things are currently being run. But like, he never changes his morals. Iron Man straight up goes from being like the only thing that matters is me and the money I'm making <laughs> to being like the things that I do have an effect on the world beyond what I can control, and I have a responsibility to make sure that those are good effects. It's also just, like, a really good movie, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd probably think, you know, this is what everything's been leading up to, so it must be the final movie of Phase 3. There's still one more for you, and that's Spider-Man Far From Home. This is what everything has been building up to. Iron Man, he's over. Now we got Spider-Man. And this movie's about, what if Spider-Man had to deal with with Iron Man's problem? Oh. Hmm. (laughs) Iron Man is dead. Long live the spider. <laughs> Iron Man is dead. Now now, now Spider-Man can deal with all the loose ends he left behind. Like all those employees he screwed over throughout the years. Iron Man is dead, but everywhere I go I see his face. He's like, what if, what if we put Tom Holland in those uh, glasses that we had Tony Stark wearing? <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. And they were like, hey, we can make a movie out of this. What if Jake Gyllenhaal was here? I freaking love Donnie Darko. Hey, we can make a movie out of this. I was a little weary going into this one because, like, I knew I loved, you know, Tom Holland's depiction of Spider-Man. Mysterio was a really smart villain. It seemed like they were setting up some cool stuff. But it also, a lot of the marketing for this movie was just like, what if Spider-Man was sad? And that's, (laughs) that's a big part of the movie, but there's a lot less of that than there is Spider-Man having to find his own place in the world because he's not just the next iron man he is spider-man first and he's foremost. the next spider-man yeah i think part of you my were issue... trying to put their names together and then you realized you can't do that because either way it's just one of their names no i was just straight up saying he's the next spider-man as a joke because there was no other spider-man yeah, you know, the the old Spider-Man was Tobey Maguire, and now he's the next Spider-Man. <laughs> That's not even what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I really liked it. I do have to say, I think it's a little bit of a shame that it's not... Like, like it's a big globetrotting adventure. And I, I think Spider-Man, his best stories are usually told when it's just like him and his friends in New York. doing school stuff and in New York. That's my only uh, complaint with it. And that. the way that they fixed that with this movie is just being like, what if all of his friends 
also went on the adventure with it. <laughs> I feel like my only complaint with any of the MCU Spider-Man movies, and not anything that makes me think they're worse movies or anything because of it, it's just there's barely any New York. <laughs> there's no swinging from building to building until that like final few minutes of Far From Home. <laughs> eh, I don't think it matters that much. No, no, it doesn't hold it back at all. No, it it definitely does not hold it back. I just, I don't, usually, you know, when you think of Spider-Man, you don't think of you know, being in Venice, you think of swinging in New York. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think that the way they kind of make up for, you know, kind of having this big adventure that takes place in other countries is just being like, it's a school trip. So all of his friends and the people that are important to him, barring Aunt May, are all with him anyways. Yeah. So you can still tell these like really personal stories with Spider-Man. It just only works once. <laughs> Like, the next movie couldn't also just be like, oh, it's a big school trip, because yeah. what school yeah. is taking these big trips this often? Also, Spider-Man's a wanted criminal now. <laughs> Spider-Man's a wanted criminal, but they still let him just, like, go across the country on a school trip. <laughs> well, that's that's the MCU for you. You know, we talked about phases All one through them. three, and if you want to hear what we think uh, and some reviews for phase four... Check out our other episodes. You can spend um, like four, four hours or however long, Prime, six like hours six. maybe. <laughs> you can go listen to those. Well, except WandaVision. Did we not do a full episode for WandaVision? We did, but that was our test episode that we ended up cutting because it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's a lot of MCU. But we got some more stuff to get into. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with all the headlines. Well, it was Gamescom, and you know what that means. We got a whole bunch of news about video games. Some Actually, of it's good, some of it's not good. Let me stop you there. As someone who really gets into game conventions and the game journalism that, that surrounds it and everything, I don't remember Gamescom as a thing at all. Like, is it, this is a thing that's been going a long time, right? I didn't know what it's happened not, this year until after it happened. It's not normally so big of a thing. Okay. There's not normally, like, huge announcements. Yeah, These are all pretty huge ones, though. Well. Yeah, I mean, only yeah. two new things really got announced. True. Yeah. But, needless to say, Gamescom had a lot of game stuff. Starting off with... A game that has been rumored to be coming for a long time, but now that we've finally seen the reveal, it's a lot it's a lot wilder than I was expecting it to be. Marvel's Midnight Suns is a new turn-based strategy game with Marvel characters <laughs> made by the same team that brought us the XCOM games. The the XCOM reboots. Sorry, yes, yes. The more recent XCOM stuff. <laughs> And it's interesting because they're definitely leaning into, like, the mystical, magical side of Marvel a lot. It's getting into some, like, occult stuff. But it also kind of makes me wonder who the audience is. Because, like, I think it looks cool, but I don't know that the characters, like, the people that are really into characters like Wolverine and Ghost Rider are necessarily the ones that are going to spring for a turn-based tactical RPG. But, speaking of 
needlessly edgy concepts. What if we made something not edgy? <laughs> well, less. Saints Row is starting over, and uh, it's long overdue. I am personally in the camp that uh, Saints Row 3 and 4 were actually like a good direction for the series, in my mind. But I totally understand why it sort of alienated a lot of long-term fans. And I think a reboot has been exactly what it needed, and it's finally happening. I think the reboot's going to be the same as, like, 3 and 4. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, like, I'm thinking it'll be pretty similar to 3. I don't now, think it's I don't what think a lot of... I don't think that anybody... I, I'm going to go on and say it. I don't think that the people that are complaining about this one being, like, too wild and weird are people that played saints row i think there are people that play gta and they're upset that there's still not a gta 6 <laughs> saints row that has would... been weird since saints row 2 saints yeah, row absolutely. 1 was just a ripoff of gta yeah saints row 2 straight up had a mission where you drove a septic truck around and sprayed people with poop like yeah the response from fans though to the new saints row has been incredibly like it's it's just not great sad and cringy yeah. People just being like, I don't want to play as some girl boss woman character with crazy hair. And it's just like, you don't have to. You create your own character. Get over yourself. If you had played any of the previous ones, you would know these things. So don't act like it's some kind of betrayal. Let's just wait until the game comes out, and hopefully it's good. But speaking of betrayal, I finally get a PS5. And we're slowly learning that every game I wanted to play on it is being delayed, <laughs> including Horizon Forbidden West, which is now officially being pushed to 2022. You got to remember, though, a rushed game is always bad, and oh, a delay God, game. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> you can't like look. If, if it is a one-to-one difference of if we release it now, it'll be bad. And if we release it six months from now, it'll be good. Fine. It's not that simple. And people are giving way too much credit to... It's, it's not the developers. It's the publishers that feel like they need to put out a date way before they actually know if it's happening. People are giving way too much credit to these publishers and just being like... They'll say, it is coming this date. It's like, oh, actually, it's coming six months later. And fans are just like, it's fine because of that one thing that the Nintendo guy said. It's Delays suck, like, universally. And a game getting delayed a lot is not a good sign. <laughs> and I think this game's still going to be great. Because this game is taking so much that already exists in the first game that I love. The fundamental core of this game is already good. So unless that's changed, I don't see this game being bad it's going to be cool to explore this big world with a lot going on in it and fight robot dinosaurs i don't doubt that part of it's going to be good it's going to be so cool creating my own character and exploring night city with keanu reeves <laughs> there's nothing that could possibly make this game bad granted well, that game didn't there you know they weren't building that game off of a you know that wasn't a sequel they weren't building it off of any previous thing that existed they built it off of this little known game called witcher 3 you heard of that one it's uh it's like an indie gem (laughs) with this one though i think they've already seen like you know what what horizon could be and really just if it ain't broke don't fix it or whatever and i think that's the route they're going the gameplay i've seen looks familiar certainly improved 
a lot more dynamic, but it looks like it's at its core the same. So, like, I don't doubt it's going to be good. It's just delays are bad, and we should stop pretending they're not, that they're not. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of delays... Oh, God, you know what, I didn't even think about this you one. You know a game has been delayed, I think, like, at least three times, and now finally has a release date? Sorry, uh, my sources are telling me, no release date yet, just window. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is coming out in spring. Has it been delayed? It I has. thought it got announced with the 2021 It was originally supposed date. to come out in spring 2020. No, yeah, it's been, no, it's never been mind. Delayed I take that back. Time. It was originally supposed to come out in 2019 because I'm 90% sure when it was revealed to E3, it was set for that year and then got delayed. And then because of COVID, got delayed even more till fall of 2020, then got delayed till spring of 2021. And now it's coming out 2022. <laughs> yeah, it's this game has been delayed substantially. I don't know. I think I don't, I don't really care that much. It's a Lego game. I don't really think there's too much you can mess up with it. This one is supposed to be very different than other Lego games, though. Like, I'm not well, sure exactly thing... how different. I do know there's a full-on, like, third-person shooter mechanic to it now. Yeah. And it's supposed to have, like, over 20, like, open-world worlds. And, like, I think each of those worlds has its own, like, hub world. So it's a lot bigger than previous Lego games. It's never going to capture the experience from our youth, though. No, no, no. And I think that we're absolutely... We're blinded by nostalgia when it comes to LEGO games. Because at their core, they're very, very simple. But we had such positive experiences with the LEGO Star Wars that, like, you know, we could never divorce that from, from how we see them today. You know, again, speaking of delays, uh, Halo Infinite finally got a release date after a year of delays. <laughs> I guess it was really just one delay, but it was a year out. Yeah, Halo Infinite is finally dropping on December 8th. Um, I mean, it's not going to have co-op campaign for three months and Forge for six months, but I guess you'll still be able to play multiplayer and campaign solo. And the multiplayer, once again, is free. So. Yeah. yeah. So you'll essentially just yeah. be paying $60 for a single-player campaign that I don't think is going to be very long. It's a Halo campaign. I think they might surprise us with this one. Yeah, I think this one's going to be different. Not necessarily better. I think it's going a different direction. I don't think this campaign itself will be very different. But Halo Infinite is supposed to be like if you took Destiny and got rid of the multiplayer like evolving world thing. You get a new expansion like every year or so that progresses the story. Well, and I think... I think in a lot of ways that's smart. Oh, yeah. Because... I think it's a pretty cool thing. But that's also coming from someone who loves Destiny. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see what comes of what comes of Halo Infinite. Because I could see it... I mean, Halo's, Halo's a fickle thing. I mean, some of them have been incredible and incredibly well-received. And then there's five. And some of them have been fine and fans have hated... So I I genuinely don't know what to expect of Infinite at all, but I'm I'm excited to see see what comes of yeah. it. You heard about new expansion for Destiny? Of course I have. Oh, I don't know anything about it. Ooh. So I know it got a lot of time at Gamescom. Yeah. They talked about Destiny for I think like forty five minutes at Gamescom. Which Queen is what Gamescom. Game, oh, Gamescom, sorry. Which queen is what all the story stuff in Destiny has been building to so far? 
And because Witch Queen is about Savathun, who is a hive god of deception. Uh, you may know her brother, Oryx. I don't. No, I do. Oryx was great. Yeah. <laughs> but every event in almost every event, not every single one, almost everything we've done in Destiny has been influenced some way or another by Savathun. Uh, Who? <laughs> yeah, Savathun... This brings me to a weird point with Destiny, where a lot of the stuff does not make sense unless you even know a fraction of the lore, which makes it so hard. I know a fraction of the lore. It was all Oryx. Say this character's name one more time. Savathun. Yeah, every time you say it, I get a little more confused. Yeah, that's understandable. Is it with a V? Yes. Savathun? Yes. Okay. But... Okay. Are you talking about sabatons, like the boots? Yeah, but or the band, Louis Sabaton. That I think is enough talking about video games. I mean, we've been talking for like two hours now, and we spent like fifteen minutes talking about video games. Get that garbage out of here! I want to talk about movies again. Which ones? Uh, the Matrix trilogy. No, the Matrix quadrilogy. <laughs> Oh, okay. Sorry. So in the first one, Neo is just a normal guy working at a software engineering company when he finds out that things aren't quite so normal as he's thinking. And they're secret agents. That's Um, the whole movie. That's it. And then he becomes Superman. (laughs) Yeah. So this fourth one is is coming. (laughs) Matrix Resurrections is what they're calling it. It's going to have... You know, everybody that you really wanted to see come back, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, um, one half of the Wachowskis. Yeah, and it's coming December 22nd, apparently. I did not know it was going to be that soon. I should have looked at this ahead of time. Wait, we didn't even get a trailer for this, did we? Anyways, I just can't get past the fact that it's called Resurrections. Not Resurrection, Resurrections (laughs) with an S on the end. Like... Are multiple people being resurrected? Is one person being resurrected multiple times? <laughs> I just don't like it. Which I know the series is bad naming conventions in general. It's not new. It's just weird, y'all. Look, it's only had one that has a bad name. Revolutions. The Matrix Reloaded is awesome. Okay, yeah. Like, that's, that's a that's great fair. title. Yeah. Especially at the time where being really edgy was cool. <laughs> also, there was the anime series... About the Matrix, and it was called the Animatrix. Genius. I would say Matrix One yeah. doesn't really have that great of a name. Shut up. <laughs> You've lived your entire life in a post-The Matrix world. You don't know what you're talking about, okay? Well, it's only a matter of time before we find out we actually are living in the Matrix, and then it's a whole other thing. Jackson's lived his entire life in a world where you can just say the Matrix as a thing, and people know that you're talking about a computer simulation and not a math thing. You know what? I'm calling it. I'm calling it now. We're we're pulling the plug. We're in the endgame now. <laughs> the pulling the plug bit is no longer a bit that's just the bookend of the podcast. It is now a threat from me. <laughs> if we go too long, I pull it when I choose. Jackson, what is something that you have been into this week? I, something I should have done a week ago. Uh, I beat Psychonauts. It's good. There's a lot of things I don't like about <laughs> it. There's some things I dislike. 
I think, you know, I don't, it's hard, I don't really think I should be giving it a score, because it's a game that's as old as me, and, you know, that makes it kind of hard to review. And I think I'd give it, i give it a 7. The confidence in that. <laughs> so, there's that. Hey, Jason, what have you been doing? Well, last night, I watched a new movie that I saw on Hulu, I think, called Vacation Friends, and it was... It was fine. It was a pretty, it was a pretty good movie. It was all right. You know, it's exactly what you expect from like a comedy that's coming out of Hulu. <laughs> um, and it's about these, you know, th- this couple that they go on vacation and they run into this other couple who's just like absolutely wild and like does drugs and they become good friends over the vacation. Uh, And then after the vacation, they decide they're never going to see each other again. But then the vacation friends show up to their wedding. (laughs) Hijinks ensue because the, the, like, wife in this movie is, like, the most bougie person I've ever seen. (laughs) They literally have a part at the wedding thing where they go on a fox hunt. (laughs) Uh... So, naturally, these people that they met on their vacation that are just, like, wild, one of which is played by John Cena, uh, do not fit in well. But at the same time, the family loves them because they're weird and helpful. You know. It was a pretty good movie, though. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'll go ahead and tell you the end. They decide to become friends, not on vacation. Dang. Wow. Deep. They decide. They decide that keeping everything confined to vacation is best for everyone involved. <laughs> they wanted to do that, but then they were really. And they find out they were the right wedding. to do it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was weird, but yeah. it was it was it was all right. You know, if you have a you know a spare couple hours and you're on Hulu, I I would recommend giving it a watch. I think the only Hulu movie I've ever watched is Palm Spring. Palm Springs. I feel like if I watched anything else, it'd just be a letdown, because that movie was really good. Jordan, uh, what you been up to? Well, just about everything I have watched and or played in the last week are things that we plan to talk about in the future. So, I am going to hone in on a little game that I've been playing for a real long time, but generally I just play as, like, a palate cleanse between other games, and it is a game called Monster Train. Uh, Monster Train is a deck builder RPG thing. (laughs) It's hard to explain. It's kind of roguelite, but with a lot more progress that carries over between runs than a regular roguelite. Um, Essentially, the pitch is that there is a train that is making a beeline from the pits of hell to destroy the entire surface world. And there are armies of angels and celestial other celestial beings and heroes from the surface world that are going down into hell to stop this train the hook is uh you are you are playing as the monsters on the train trying to escape hell and destroy the surface world and the way you do that is you have a deck of cards each corresponding to one of the monsters on your train or to a spell and each turn Some enemies invade the train and like its lowest floor and then are slowly trying to make the way towards the top of the train. I don't know why it's up and down instead of left to right like a train would be, but they start off on the lowest floor of the train and are trying to get up to the top floor 
uh, to destroy the heart. I don't know why they didn't call it like the engine or something. Again, they're not very good with the train iconography, but it's a fun game, I promise. And uh, each uh, round, some more enemies enter the train at the bottom floor, and you're trying to stop them before they get to the top floor. It's very similar to pretty popular deck builders like Slay the Spire, which is one of my all-time favorite games. But it adds an interesting feature because you have these three floors to work with. And enemies always start at the bottom. So you have to some strategy there. Do you put all your best monsters on the bottom floor and try and stop them before it ever even takes off? Or do you try and balance it out so that you have more fighting force spread out across your three floors? And, you know, enemies will have powers where this one can skip the second floor or this one, uh, you know, can... This one will stay on one floor multiple times, but it's extra strong. Or, like, you know, it has all sorts of little little wrinkles in it to make it more complicated. But it's just a really good game. Like, every run feels good because there's a lot of good upgrades in there. Um, it's actually, like, the first deck builder where you want to have an incredibly small and, like, perfect deck of cards instead of just having as many powerful cards as you can. You just want to have, like six to eight good monsters and a handful of good spells and that's it it's just it has a really interesting take on it a lot of characters and a lot of cards there's a lot of depth it's but it's fun it's on game pass if you want to check it out although i highly recommend playing it on pc because playing a card game on console kind of sucks wow that's a lot i still don't care about roguelites still can't get into them i don't know Eh. maybe that's my one genre that i just you're all right. We were talking we because we were talking about it a little bit about how we all have kind of different tastes and like I I can't get into roguelikes. I think it's because I don't really like starting over from the beginning. I like I, I kind of like having my progress and keeping it. Yeah, Jordan likes roguelikes. You like RPGs. I like Destiny. <laughs> just Destiny. No other games. Maybe one day you'll find a second game. I just game you like. I heard Dad just holler Destiny from out of the hall outside the office. You like crap. So it's true. Okay. Well, I think it's just about time to put this podcast to rest. Pull the second plug. <laughs> yes. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you on Twitter at TVMcast, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. You can find us on Twitch once in a blue moon, twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. You can send an email with your reviews or your suggestions or your thoughts on our show to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. Please. Pretty please. We want to hear from you. We really do. But for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.